MNK Talk YA now presents Unravel the Dusk, Part 2, from the Blood of Stars duology by Elizabeth Lim. Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished our, our latest series, which was called The Blood of Stars Duology by Elizabeth Lim. And we finished the second book, which was called Unravel the Dusk. Yep. What did you think? What did I think? Um, well, I think that this book was paced very well. There was always something happening. There was never really any downtime. There was never any lagging. Like, I think Elizabeth Lim does a really good job with pacing. Um, the one thing I can't get over is that I still felt, like, a little misled by the introduction of the series. Like, when we started Spin the Dawn, I really thought it was going to be a story about one thing. And then it just evolved in a way that I didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily think that's bad from like a writing perspective like I think many books start out with one kind of central idea and then it branches off and it you know it gets more complex and it changes which I think all books need to do but I just think that the direction this book went wasn't really for me and I think that's probably even less on the author than like the people who designed the book cover and stuff like what they choose to put on the back or on the inside or you know like how they choose to and how they merchandised it Yeah. Yeah. And I have felt that way about lots of books in terms of either feeling like they give away too much Uh or feeling like they say something just, yeah, completely misleading. And I would agree. This series did not go the way I anticipated when we, like, read the description and, like, prepared for what I thought we were going into. I thought it was going to be Mulan retelling meets, um, yeah, that show that you, like. Project Runway. That one. (laughs) (laughs) That one show I don't watch. Um, (laughs) But I liked it but I totally agree that it was not what I thought it was going to be going into it and I think that honestly part of the problem and this really is nothing to do with the book itself I think part of the problem was we had just read a book that was so similar in terms of demons right and true this battle between good and evil and demons possessing people I mean our last book was the shadow of the fox by Julie Kagawa and that was kind of the central focus of that book so I guess when I got to this one I kind of was like oh we've already read this like been there done that um and and you know the books were different enough I'm not saying that like one was a copy of the other by any means but I think it was just that we read them in such close proximity to each other that when I got to like oh more demons oh more being possessed more changing into demons I was just like mm, I'm, I'm kind of over it I agree, and I think uh, I didn't expect this book to be, like, a savior story as much, whereas, mm. I mean, because it was about, like, a tailor, right? Like, I mean, right. I thought it would be interesting, but I didn't think, like, the tailor was going to save the kingdom or whatever, and I sort of like when we mix those up, too, when, when it's like, oh, yeah, like, I'm changing the whole world, or I'm just, like, living my life, and do- I don't know, it, but I agree, yeah, I think possibly if we hadn't read it right after... And there were just so many rules in both series that were new to me. And so kind of keeping track of that on top of barely letting go of the last series and then being like, wait, there's more different rules about how about demons. all this magic works. And yeah, the demons and the creatures and the whatever. Um, yeah. I think that can be a lot. I think I'm just ready to read a book without magic in it right now. Because, and I know that's like... Do we do that? I mean, that's, I know, I was going to say, like, a YA novel without magic is like a table without wine. It's like incomplete. But I do, I do know that like most of the books that I've read that don't have magic, I tend to like a lot more. Or at least when there's magic, but a clearer sense of the rules, or at least like the rules are at least laid up out front. So that I'm aware of them and I can follow, I can read the rest of the book kind of knowing what to expect in terms of the magic. I think this book, the magic itself was revealed 
like step by step. So like we got to a portion of the book and all of a sudden it was like, oh, and the dresses magic is going to be corrupted by the demon magic. And oh, at this point you can't use the dress magic because of X, Y, Z. Um, and that was just a little hard to follow that kind of like interrupted the pace of the book for me and made it hard to predict things which not that I mean we all know I don't get predictions right all that often but I like to be able to predict them and when like the rules change and it's like well of course I didn't know that like the dresses could do that or I didn't know that like yeah it's a little frustrating um so I think I would prefer a book that had maybe less magic at the heart of it or you know it was kind of like a side part but there was just even from like the magic scissors, it was just so front and center of this book. And I don't know, I think, I think another thing is this book maybe reads at a lower reading level than some of the other YA books we read, because we read a lot of new adult too. True. And I think I found parts of it just a little... Middle grade. Yeah, a little middle grade, like the idea of magic scissors and like uh, magic dresses. I don't know, it just, it, it felt a little bit younger in terms of reading level to me. I still, I don't, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but I do think it's always hard when, depending on when we read a book and the mood that we're in or the mood we just got out of, like if we read a book series we didn't like, we're more likely to like really like the next one because we, or whatever, and like vice versa, or if they are similar, even if they're not really similar, but we see trends or like the style is the same or whatever. But I will say this was, again, I think marketed wrong but if I were to tell someone about the series I would market it to them in a different way probably yeah I would too and it was like I think like you said the pacing was good um I I felt like most of my questions were answered it was a duology which I think I felt like it was it didn't need to be any longer it you know Mm -hmm. it was kind of it the first book stood I mean not stood on its own completely but sort of wrapped up part of the story and the second book was unique enough it wasn't just repeating the first story or completely backwards tracking so there were a lot of things I did like about it and there are times and people and if depending on what you're looking for where I would totally recommend it but I wouldn't necessarily read it right after the series we just did or with the expectation of it being Mulan Maid's Project Runway. (laughs) Totally agree, yeah. But I mean, I agree. Like, the books were very well organized in terms of, like, like you said, splitting at the halfway point of the duology. Um, I thought the writing was really good, too. I I Mm -hmm. thought the writing was really beautiful and the dialogue was good. Um, And the romance actually played really well and... mm -hmm. I thought, like, I know we talked about that with the first book, how it kind of built up nicely, but I wasn't sure how it would handle in the second half of the second book. But I, I think I was pleased with how that all played out, too. And I think that can be something that I don't always love in a YA series or feels too forced or yep. feels too, like... Out of nowhere. Yeah. One complaint, though, well, a couple complaints. Uh, we never saw Norbu again. Yeah, I was thinking about that <laughs> because you called it last week. If you hadn't said something last week, I probably would have completely forgotten about him. It didn't bother me a ton. If you hadn't pointed it out, I don't think I would have thought about it, to be completely mm-hmm. honest. But since I was thinking about it, it bothered me a little bit. But yeah. it didn't. I, he, I didn't feel like he was a big enough... Maybe if we had seen him at other points throughout, but we just saw him the one time. I was kind of like, well, why did he escape? Or like, what does that matter? Yeah, exactly. They should have just left him in the prison. Yeah. Like, why let him escape if he wasn't going to... I mean... The only thing I can think of, and and this is totally fair, I feel like when you're writing books, sometimes you leave yourself little loose ends in case things change. You know, like, I I could see her writing this book and being like, I'm going to have him escape because I might need him to appear in the second book again. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes characters just have a way of their own. Like, I totally (laughs) seemed true to me that Norbu would have, like, connections and, like, trick his way, pay his way out of jail. And in some ways, it almost seemed true to me that he would just vanish. Like, he was not going to get involved in a civil war or, no, like, that's true. you know, I mean, so it would have been nice if we saw him somewhere on their travels or something where he had set up shop somewhere else or, like, met another king or something, but. Or was with the bandits, because we never saw the bandits again, like, oh, the ones yeah. who betrayed Eden. Well, didn't they all die or something by the ghosts? Didn't they all become ghosts? Um, possibly. <laughs> I can't remember. I forget how the rules work. <laughs> Let's start at the place where we left off so where we left off Eden and Maya they had just gotten back together had just gotten back together and they were going to find Master Shring and Maya was 
not technically full demon yet, but right on the edge. Yeah, she was in the process of transforming. Um, and Master Tsering has not very nice words for her. He's not very encouraging at all. He's basically like, you've been named. Your name is Centurna, which means breaker or cutter of fates. And you basically need to leave because you're turning into a demon and we don't want you here. <laughs> I wanted more of him. He reminded me of like the grumpy old man who's actually really wise. And like, I almost wanted more of that. I wanted to hear more of his backstory. I wanted to, I wanted him to like give actually good advice. I don't feel, I feel like he almost did a lot of times or like we thought he was going to, or they like kept talking to him, but then like nothing really substantial came out of it in my opinion. No, and I really thought we were going to get more of Eden's backstory through him, so I was a little yeah. disappointed that we didn't. Um, it almost seems like kind of a worthless stop, because we didn't even learn that much from him. The only thing we learned was that the dresses are now the source of her power, and if she destroys them all to be free of the demon Bandor, she'll die, which I guess is important. Well, it, yeah, and I did like that connection, because we knew when she went through the trials that like the first trial was of the body, the second trial was of the mm-hmm. soul no the heart. body mind soul Wait. okay that's it body mind I was you know I was mixing it up um and basically as and it makes sense but as she's unraveling the dresses or destroying the dresses that's what she's giving up in herself each time too I thought that was kind of a cool idea I liked that as well and I liked that I was kind of right where she had to like literally unravel all the dresses and destroy them in this book in order to save the day totally the one thing I didn't like was remember when she's with Master String and Eden and she says to Eden she like leaves him and she's like no, no matter what happens I want you to come find me on the ninth day of the ninth month every year and I'll wait for you yeah do you remember that I love that because I don't know that when I read that I was like oh no something's gonna happen to Eden to Eden or something's gonna happen to Maya at the end and, like, it's going to be, like, the Midnight Star by Marie Lu, where, like, they can only meet at a certain point for the rest of their lives, like, on the ninth mm-hmm. day of the ninth year. And I just, I kind of love, like, non-happy endings like that, where it's, like, they can be together, but but they can't. Um, and so I really thought something was going to happen with that. And then it just didn't come back. And I was just, like, why say that if, if, if it's not going to pan out? Well, yeah. And it, it continued to bother me in the second half. We talked about it with the first half of this book. Maya's, like, priority... I, I, like, couldn't keep track of what she was doing because she kept, like, writing letters or, like, saying goodbye to Eden. And then he was like, no, I'm going with you. And then she was like, oh, yeah, you have to come... Like, I just... Right, I kept right. being like, are they on the same side? Or is she trying to get away from him? Or is she, like... Are they going after the demon? Or are they going back to the... Imp- like, what is going on <laughs> as far as the priorities go? Yeah. She did keep changing her mind again. And that was a little confusing. But... Yeah. I expected a happy ending in this book. I don't know why, because it wasn't like it was all butterflies and roses the whole time. It's not like Elizabeth Lim was writing completely like, like right. I mean, her brothers had died so early and all this stuff. But for some reason, I just felt like, or I expected them to both be magic free and together at the end. Mm-hmm. But I do love an unhappy ending. So I would have been okay <laughs> with that. But I wasn't really expecting anything bad to happen to them at the end of the day. Mm. Um, the other thing we learned from Master String is that there was a rip in the heavens caused by magic and that Maya's ancestor, the Weaver, was the first to mend it. Yeah. And this part was confusing to me. It was for me too. I'm glad we got a little bit more of her, of Maya's backstory and her ancestor who first wielded the magic scissors, but this rip in the heavens thing, it came, it was too little too late and... I didn't understand the significance. And we didn't get a good what caused it. Yeah. It just seems very out of nowhere. And I just don't think it added much to the story. I wanted it to be like tied to the Shenzhen's deal Mm -hmm. or like be tied to something we had already seen. And it might have been, but we just never got that tie in. So that was a little frustrating. And then again, I mean, from a pacing standpoint, I did like it. But we actually kind of resolved the big issue fairly quickly. (laughs) Yeah, when they go to Lapser. Yeah, they do finally make their way just in the nick of time, and Eden joins Maya to confront Bandor, and they have a plan that mostly works, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, she stabs Bandor with her scissors and steals his amulet and drops it down the Well of Stars. 
But then that part was also hard for me to follow because then she was also yeah. like bleeding and it was like if the blood drops before the amulet drops and then she kept like jumping into the well and out of the well. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Yes. I was like having trouble keeping track of where things were in that scene. I agree. Because she, Bander is like, okay, if I drip your blood down the well, that will seal the guardianship transfer. But she mm-hmm. drops the amulet before her blood touches it and so she like destroys Bandor before he can lock her into this arrangement but yeah I I didn't understand the part where he threw her down the well and the blood of stars like threw her back out that was a little yeah I mean why have her fall down the well like and it for me it made it like the well wasn't a real well or something I don't know like I just was like having trouble visualizing that scene as it was being described yeah and I had trouble with like the fact that the blood of stars magic could literally like hurl her out of a well and why it would i don't know it just seems seemed a little weird but her scissors fell down that well (laughs) oh yeah that's true and then everything crumbled (laughs) you finally got rid of the magic scissors i did like though when she because she had been like declared the demon even though it hadn't gone through all the way so she's like Mm -hmm. commanding the ghost like i did like some of that stuff that was happening in terms of like they were like attacking eden and she's like no stop and they were like, oh, you're our master, right? And they're like, the ghosts right, are kind of yeah. confused. And like, that part was kind of interesting. But it was also confusing for me. Some of these scenes, kind of similar to our last book too, I felt like I could have seen play out visually. Yeah. Um, but it was almost hard to read and like keep track of everything. Like I, I sort of feel like this could mm-hmm. be a really cool movie, animated or not, where you could see some of this stuff happen and it would make more sense to me. I think it would be a fantastic anime. Yeah. I agree, because then we get to see the dresses as well. Oh, yeah. Would love that. Yeah, and then the other confusing thing was that, like, she stabs Bandor, he dies, but she's still turning into a demon. And then Eden was like, oh, yeah, I thought that might happen. Mm-hmm. But I was like, why? Or, like, give us more. If that was a real threat, why didn't we talk about it? Or what? tell us why that's a yeah. thing. But I guess she just, she wasn't tied to that place, but she was still a demon. But demons are tied to a place, so. Yeah, that's what they said, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then... So yeah, we had this moment where we're like, yay, we did it. Everything's good. We defeated Bandor. She like started having feeling come back that night. They went to sleep. She wakes up in the morning and is more demon-like than ever. Right. And then the Shenzhen summons her. Yeah. He wants Maya to fight in his army with his demon. And as collateral, he has her brother and her father. And he says or I think it's his demon that says that they will die if she refuses to fight. And they've summoned all demons, so it's not just right. her who's getting this call. She is trying to resist because she's still Maya enough, but yeah, that's why they took extra collateral. And I liked this part. I liked when Maya learns that the Shanson has essentially an army of demons to him, so she uses the moon dress, the dress made from moonlight, and asks the goddess Amana to sever all the threads that binds the demons to the Shansen. Mm-hmm. And she's like, make sure none of the demons come and please let me stay myself long enough to defeat him, to defeat the Shansen. And she gives up her mind for it. Yeah, I liked how like the moon was the, the example of her mind or like embodied her mind and she lost all of her memories. Mm-hmm. But again, like it wasn't a clean break of her memories. Like she was starting to lose her memories, but like, for the sake of the story, like, she couldn't lose all her memories. Like, I think the author did a pretty good job of being, like, like, she doesn't recognize Eden, but then she slowly, like, remembers who he was. And the same with when she sees her friend Ami again. She's like, I know I know you, and I know you're important to me, but, like, I don't remember why. Yeah. Yeah, I recognize you, but I don't know from where. Mm-hmm. And with her brother and father, I think, like, that really still had to hold up because her whole motivation was to save her brother and father, or at least make sure they weren't hurt. So she had to like keep a hold of some of her memories in order to make that work. So eh, it was a little dicey, but I'll let it slide. Well, and I almost wish that we had figured out the body, mind, and soul thing earlier because she had, not to the same extent after she gives up the second dress, but she had already struggled with her memories before she gave up the second dress. Not, again, to that same level, but remember she didn't recognize mm-hmm. Eden at first. She was already like trying to recall certain things about her family that she couldn't and like she was losing her mind so it was kind of interesting that it was like oh but she still had her mind in the dress and was still fully powerful true but now it's gone I mean she lost more of it but then so then they have a plan yeah they have a plan and they go to find 
uh, the Shanson's army. And they have some pretty cool battle scenes, I will say that. Well, and they send the little flying crane origami thing to go find Lady Sarnai. Her paper birds. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you feel about Lady Sarnai coming back and the way that panned out? Because I know you you especially were like, I want Lady Sarnai to come back. I want her to kind of be Maya's ally. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? So I was glad to see her. I feel like she did step up. What I don't feel like we got was to know her that much more. And I think that's what I really wanted was just to like spend some time. Like we didn't actually become friends with her. We didn't really have a lot of personal conversations. We saw a little bit of it. And I don't think Maya, this story is all told from Maya's perspective. And I don't think she was in a place to like explore that relationship when she's losing her mind and like all this other stuff mm-hmm. is going on. So that felt true to me. But I was a little disappointed because I wanted to like, no Lady Star and I more. So I'm glad she came back, but I didn't feel like we got like the depth of the relationship that I was hoping we would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree with that. I wish we knew more about her and because the glimpses of her that we did get, I liked. Mm-hmm. Like I loved whenever the battle ends, the first battle where she takes on her father in tiger form. And then someone like says something and addresses her lover, Lord Xena. And she's like, listen, I'm the commander, not Lord Xena. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you stand yep. up for yourself, lady. Like, that's pretty cool. And that was kind of a theme in the book, but not fully explored either. Because we saw, like, as a tailor, she was, or as a master, she was supposed to be a man. And we knew that Lady Sarnai had been, like, promised her freedom, but then was basically sold, quote unquote, or, like, given away in marriage for political mm-hmm. purposes. So that kind of made sense. But we almost didn't see enough of this world where it was so, mm-hmm. like, gender biased that... I was kind of like, why wouldn't they assume that this warrior who led them in battle before was in charge? Right. And we get like a a tiny bit of backstory where she kind of explains how she was able to draw her father's bow. True. I really like that story. He was like, no, you're a girl. You can't fight. And she was like, all right, well, I'm going to go carry stacks of wood every day until I get super strong and can draw the bow. And like how she kind of proved herself and was able to be trained like her brothers after that I did like that and she was even stronger than her brothers which again I think would be such a like there was so much between her and Maya that was similar but different like she didn't have a strong relationship with her brothers as far as we could tell or you know like they weren't Mm -hmm. close and she they were all still alive and yes she didn't kill them but she had no problem like seriously maiming them or whatever um, but I almost wish we had seen more of that, like, I just wanted more. I wanted to be in her head. <laughs> I was fascinated by her, and I didn't get enough. I totally agree, and I'm also fine with the fact that Maya and Lady Star and I did not end up, like, best friends. Yeah. You know, I feel like that would have been very, um unbelievable I like that they were really different I just wanted more of her backstory for it yeah no I agree um but I liked that they were kind of like they were allies neither of them had really a reason to trust each other and the only reason Lady Sarnai even allowed Maya to live was when Maya gave her Eden's sword and she was like listen I'm turning into a demon here's the only weapon that can destroy me I'm gonna give it to you hold on to it this is how you can earn my trust and that that felt right to me like if they had been like oh my god all of a sudden we're besties like that would have been weird yeah no I agree I didn't expect them to ever be friends I just thought we'd learn more about her and but we did um hear a little bit more about how her relationship with her father did deteriorate as he was like tempted and then Mm -hmm. built this relationship with the demon like the fact that she initially when she realized Maya was a demon or becoming a demon was like kill her or lock her up or whatever Mm -hmm. made sense to me because she had seen her own father who she had loved and like had a good relationship with get completely corrupted by a demon so it made sense that she wouldn't just be like oh hey you're a demon like cool let's use your power that would have been unrealistic as well that's a good point and speaking of demons uh since maya severed all of the ties to the demons uh the shansen appears for the second battle with ghosts as his allies and yeah maya realizes she can call her own ghosts Okay, I really liked that. I liked when she called the ghosts of her brothers and they came and Mm -hmm. helped her. I actually really, really liked that. I loved that because we spent so much time with her brothers that we never really got to see. I guess Mm -hmm. maybe like the first chapter in the first book, there was a flashback and then we heard stories the whole time. But we never really got that conclusion with them. And I wasn't necessarily expecting it. So it was such a nice addition to like have them come help her and like kind of have that moment of like saying goodbye. Yeah, because it's such a big part of Maya too. The fact that like she lost 
her mother and two of her brothers like that's huge and it definitely has like shaped the way she is and her family has always been a motivation for her Mm -hmm. and she's always been so driven to protect them and help them so at the end it was really nice for her brothers to kind of take up that role of protecting her and yeah it was was really just nice to see them again because they were so prominent in the background even if they didn't get a lot of uh screen time is the wrong word (laughs) (laughs) the equivalent time on the page yep um what did you think about baba's or her father's like reluctance to welcome eden i mean i totally understand why he's not super thrilled with the idea of his daughter dating the man who essentially started the war or not started the war, but perpetuated the war that killed his two sons. Like, I can understand why he would make that connection and be wary. Didn't, isn't that what she thought was going on? But didn't he ultimately say he thought Eden had broken her heart and that's why she was so upset he didn't realize she was turning into a demon and that's why she was upset? He thought Eden, like, left her alone? Yeah, I think that too. And I just feel like that explanation was given so late because I was getting so annoyed with him already. I was like, oh. she visited <laughs> you and told you how much this guy means to her, like, give him a chance (laughs) but then when he finally was like oh yeah like I am mad because he left you and she's like oh I told him to or like it goes to this whole thing that I always say in books where I'm like why don't people just talk to each other (laughs) (laughs) we can avoid this whole problem I mean I kind of thought it was it was expected to me I guess that he would be a little bit wary of Eden just because like he's an enchanter and enchanters aren't always trusted and I guess I was ex- I was expecting him to like give him a hard time, but not to like not mm. respond to him at all. Like it would have been different if they like had more conversations and the dad was like a typical <laughs> protective dad. I don't know. I just something about that just like mm. rubbed me the wrong way at first. But then I bought into it and I was like, okay, I guess that's fine. But he's another character that we actually like heard a lot more about her brothers than her dad when you think about it yeah I don't know again like did he need to be there I don't know like what if it was just her brothers I think it would have been just as fine if like I don't think he added a ton to the story honestly I think having some family that she had connections to like maybe just having one brother that was left would have been a little bit more meaningful than having her brother and her father who doesn't really do much yeah, I feel like we surprisingly got more from her mom, and now I'm jumping ahead, oh, than right. we did from her dad in terms of, like, answers and closure. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> right, so when the Shanson brings his ghost into battle, Maya releases the third dress, the dress of the stars, and she uses that power to fend off the ghost. But as a result, she dies. <laughs> and it's just as, like, Lady Sarnai takes uh, her father's demon's amulet and Maya like gives into her demon self and I got super confused for a minute because she turned into a bird and they kept saying like oh demons all have an animal form and Maya was really curious about what form her animal would take and then it was Mm -hmm. just a bird and I was like what kind of bird is she like they just described it as like a bird with blue flames and then later we do find out that it's a phoenix Yep. I feel like I suspected it was a phoenix because there were a couple of clues ahead of time. Or maybe I just wanted it to be one already going into that. But I agree. And that was another scene where I did struggle a little bit to keep track of who was where. Like, I think it might have played on a screen. Like, I think everything was where it was supposed to be, but it was just hard to, like, keep up with, like, okay, now Eden's being attacked here, but, like, Lady Sarnai has the amulet there, and then she's, like, throwing it here, and, like... And Maya can fly now? (laughs) Yeah, I know. That was just... I was like, wait, this scene, I can't... Even the bridge part? I don't know. Something about that, I was, like, having trouble picturing it in my head adequately, but... I agree. I think that's when, like, it being a movie... Mm-hmm. We, we always say like what scene would we like uh to see made in a, into a movie i think i'm just gonna say the whole book <laughs> i want to yeah. see the whole book as a movie yeah for sure but definitely that last battle or when she's defeating baldor i think it would help me from a clarity standpoint which i don't always say for books usually it's something i just like would love to see how it's visualized i want to see her dresses for how mm-hmm. they're visualized but those two scenes i feel like i'd like understand better if i saw them visually agreed So when Maya dies, she kind of has, like, a little Harry Potter moment, right? Where she dies, Mm -hmm. and she, like, goes to the afterworld and sees her mom. And her mom basically says, (laughs) this is kind of (laughs) funny. She was like, yeah, so your brothers and I talked to Amana, and we, like, kind of made a deal with her. (laughs) 
Like the way she phrased it, it was just like it's it was so casual. Like, yeah, we talked to the goddess and she's cool with you returning or staying to be tailored to the gods. <laughs> Especially because the goddess has kind of been ignoring her like the whole time. Right? I mean like not actually, but like they she's like been begging her for like answers and help and she's gotten some, but it's been like really unclear what the goddess is hearing or doing or like how she feels about Maya and then it's like, Oh yeah, she wants you to come up here and be the tailor for the gods. Or you can return to be with your family and Eden. But, yeah, I talked to her. <laughs> oh, but before you go, you have to use the scissors one more time to heal that rip in the head. <laughs> well, and that was also funny because she's like, here's your scissors back. And Maya's like, keep them. No, I don't need them anymore, which I actually really respected. And I had a yes. feeling you would be happy about. Oh, I was so happy. But then they're like, okay, but can you use them one more time for us, please? Like, yeah, that's a good choice. But before you make that choice. <laughs> Real quick, before you go. <laughs> it, was just, it was just, like, funny. Yeah, I, I like that. Um... And I do like that she and Eden kind of chose a simple life, right? I mean... I loved that. I felt like that was the right choice for them. I did too, but it was also so interesting because the whole book started with Maya wanting to become the Imperial Tailor, right? Like, that was her motivation from book one. And now Lady S gave her the choice of like, yeah, you can become the Imperial Tailor and you can have a a seat on my council, but... Maya chose the opposite and I I agree I did kind of like that because it was a good way of showing that like people change people grow people start out wanting something but after you know two books worth of going through hell um, maybe they want different things at the end of that and I I liked that well and I do feel like she she wanted to be the imperial tailor but why did she want that she wanted to provide for her family and she wanted to be recognized for her skill and I feel like over the course of the book, she had been recognized for her skill, so she didn't need that anymore, and she still would be because everyone knew what she had done. And I think family became even more important. Like, that was always important to her, but it became yeah. even more so throughout the course of the story. And finding Eden because she didn't, like, she wasn't really interested in settling down and getting married to the baker's son or whoever right. it was who was across the street and always asking for her hand. Um, but, like, I mean, it does change if you meet the right guy or girl or person. I totally agree. But, but yeah, it, that was actually what I did my research on a Ooh. little bit. So I uh, I thought it was so interesting because they were offered so many things by Lady Sarah and I when she's in charge for real. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like, come back and, like, have all these things. And, like, oh, no, we just want to, like, live by the ocean in a shop and whatever. And then Eden actually goes back to the temple and finishes his training. Mm-hmm. And, like, they just, yeah, have a really normal life. But I looked up. I was curious about other people who've, like, rejected honors by royalty. Ooh, I'm so curious. And the list I really found was famous people who turned down a knighthood. Oh. So there's actually, like, a ton of people. Mostly I read about, like, the British honor system. So they have, like, you know, different... You can be recognized for, like, achievement or, Mm -hmm. like, a deed or or whatever, but... Sir Elton John, Dame Maggie Smith. Yes, exactly. Um, So some people who, for whatever reason, said no, because most people are like, yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? So a lot of rock stars have been knighted, like you mentioned, Sir Elton John, Sir Paul McCartney, Sir Mick Jagger, etc. But uh, David Bowie turned down a knighthood in 2003. He said, I would never have any intention of accepting anything like that. I seriously don't know what it's for. It's not what I spent my life working on. (laughs) Ooh, I kind of like that. I like it too. Well, it's funny. A lot of these people, especially like from the artistic community, like their reasons for rejection are basically like, we don't want to be part of the establishment. Like a lot of our identity or like how we rose to influence or rose to became who we are is by being like anti-establishment. And if we become knighted, we're basically like buying into that again or whatever. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. Uh, Vanessa Redgrave is a Oscar-winning actress, and she turned down the title in 1999 of Dame. She was known for supporting various left-wing and humanitarian causes, and she might have thought, like many others, that a knighthood would make her too much a part of the establishment. So this is exactly what I was just talking about. But she was awarded a CBE, which is a commander of the most excellent order of the British Empire, which is like the next highest honor you can receive. So I guess that's the line. She did, she wouldn't be knighted, <laughs> but she would <laughs> accept a CBE. <laughs> You know what I think is stupid? What? I think it's stupid that they have gender-specific names for the same honor. I like, agree. Why does it have to be Dame or Sir? Just make everyone Sir. Like, and I, I do think if we started something now, it would be. But things were so yeah. gender-specific. And these, I don't know actually how long these things have been around. But the next guy was 
turned down the knighthood in 1887, so that was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, So it was an Australian statesman, and it was back when Australia was still a colony of Great Britain, and um, his name was Alfred Deakin, and he turned it down in 1887 and then became one of Australia's founding fathers, which officially became a nation in 1901. And he served as prime minister for three terms, and most people assume that he refused the knighthood for two reasons. One, he just uh, had a lot of humility. He turned down a lot of other honors as well. And two, he had a preference for Australia becoming its own republic and didn't want to like encourage political links to the British Empire. So oh, okay. I thought it was interesting, though. Australia continued to award knighthoods after winning independence from Britain even though most people associated it with it, like, being a colonial thing. Mm-hmm. But um, Australia did stop awarding knighthoods in 1983. Oh. Do we have anything similar in the States? So I was going to look up presidential things, but I've had, I mean, with the election and everything, I kind of just yeah. didn't want to think about American politics this week. So I just <laughs> skipped that. I, like, planned on it, and I didn't really look it up. But I don't have anything off the top of my head that I can think of. I mean, people are, like, recognized by or you know invited to the president I mean military honors for sure or military honors yeah but is there something like you know how colleges give like a honorary degree or whatever oh yeah like the military doesn't have anything like that yeah what do what would you if you were like an economist or like a (laughs) artist or like I don't know yeah maybe Biden will invent something for it Don't think that's high on his list of priorities, but who knows? That's what we should start campaigning for with everything else going on in the world. Can you award great YA podcaster or something? I mean, I know there's a pandemic going on, but like, we just shift our priorities a bit. Um, well, was that all you had? A lot of them are the same kind of reasons over and over again, but I'll just give you some names that you'll probably recognize. So Michael Faraday, back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, the guy who discovered the electromagnetic field, turned down the honor. Stephen Hawking turned down the honor. John Lennon, um, he actually accepted an MBE and then returned it. So, I mean, there's a lot. Aldous Huxley, the guy who wrote Brave New World, refused the knighthood in 1959. So... Yeah, so you can turn down a British honor. And nowadays, potential recipients are contacted ahead of time before any public announcement is made. Basically, I think to ensure that it's not at least publicly declined. Yeah, that's smart. Very cool. Um, My research was inspired by Lady Sarnai. Love it. What did you learn? Well, I just liked that she was a princess, but also a warrior. Yes. And, you know, led her people into battle. She was pretty fearless, even after her lover, Lord Xena, died. Oh, that was so sad. We didn't even talk about that part. I, yeah, I respected her a lot. I know, and then they lost his body. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty powerful, that she was still able to lead and, like, not give up her command. And, you know, she still put on a brave face for her soldiers. So I researched a woman whose name was Artemisia of Caria. Ooh, I like she that. She lived around 480 BC, and she was a queen of the ancient Greek city-state of Palikarnassus and the nearby islands of Kos, Niceros, and Kalimnos. So back then, if she was queen, does that mean she was like the ruler, or does that mean she was married to a king? So this is awesome. She was married to a king, but when he died, she took the throne. Ooh. And no one knows who this dude was. <laughs> like, I love the fact that, like, she is remembered and no one knows who her husband was. He was just, like, some unimportant king. Um, he was just a pawn to get her where she needed to be. That totally. is amazing. I love I that. love it. Um, she did have a son, but she ruled as regent because when her husband died, he was still too young to rule. Um, she was a staunch ally of Xerxes. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. Um, essentially the king of Persia, who was fighting against some Greek city-states during the second Parisian invasion of Greece. And she was this man's advisor, ally, commander. She, like, had a very high place of prominence like in his inner circle and she gave him a lot of uh, strategy advice that he listened to and he considered her like a very close very close ally um in the battle of salamis 
this king, Xeresis, gathered all of his naval commanders together and basically was going to fight this huge naval battle against some Greek ships. And during this battle, Artemisia, who also, she was named after the Greek goddess Artemis, who was goddess of the hunt, which I love that. Yeah. Um, she actually commanded five of his ships at this naval battle. That's awesome. Yeah. She's a pirate princess. Well, she's called the Pirate Queen. Ooh. Like, that's her nickname. She was actually a, appears in the movie 300, Rise of an Empire. She is depicted in that movie as a Pirate Queen. <laughs> so this is kind of interesting. So during this battle that she was famous for fighting in, she basically was, her fleet was cut off by uh, friendly ships, and she couldn't, she couldn't escape. Like on accident? Essentially, yeah. So, like, the Parisian feet was facing defeat, and a Greek ship was pursuing Artemisia's ship, and she was not able to flee because in front of her were her friendly ships. So she basically is famous for, like, brutal tactics, and so what she did was she charged against one of her own ships, essentially fired upon it so that she could escape. So she fired upon this ship. She sunk it. She sunk a friendly ship. Oh my goodness. Like 20% of her five yeah. ships? <laughs> I don't know if it was one of hers, but it was oh, like okay. definitely not a Greek ship. <laughs> um, and I guess the king, Xeresis, was kind of watching it happen. And someone saw her charge against the Parisian ship. And they were like, yeah, that's one of ours. What is she doing? But he basically was like overseeing the battle and he realized what she did and he praised her for her boldness because like what happened was she was able to escape and then she ordered her colors, the Parisian colors of her ship to be taken down and to fly uh, Greek colors. And when she attacked this friendly ship, the Greeks thought that she was one of theirs. Like, they thought, like, oh, that ship's attacking. Because why else right. would anyone? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so the Greeks were like, oh, okay, like, sh- that ship's attacking a friendly ship. She must be either a Greek ship or... The enemy on, of my enemy, yep. Or turned on her, her allies, yeah. So it actually works really well for her because she was able to, like, basically disguise her ship and, like, do a lot of damage because they thought that she was a Greek ship. Oh my goodness, that is quite the ballsy move. Yeah, love it. Yeah, so the ship that was pursuing her turned away his ship and went after others and like figured she was deserting or whatever. Um, and when King Xeresis saw her do that, he said, my men have become women and my women have become men. <laughs> oh my goodness. So after the battle, uh, the King Xeresis acknowledged her and she he said, you have excelled above all others in the fleets. He presented her with a complete suit of Greek armor, and then he, he asked her for, for her advice on um, the next course of action to take, and she told him her recommendation, and he listened to her advice, um, and he ended up retreating back to Asia Minor. Basically, she advised him to retreat and just gave him some good advice, and he listened to it, which was pretty cool. That is awesome. I actually love that story. And I just, I can't imagine, I feel like I'd be bad at battle for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. But one of them would be, it's not enough to just have good ideas, but you have to like have good ideas quickly in the heat of things. And like being able to make that call to be like, okay guys, we're firing on this guy and like have the respect of your crew to be like, okay, like she she said so, we're going to do it, even though this seems kind of goofy or whatever. That's like awesome. Good for her. The thing that's really disheartening, though, is her death was recorded in a way that was likely not true and also, like, pretty sexist. It was, like, a really stupid legend that came out of it, so... I'm so intrigued now. I know. It's, like, it's so stupid. So, according to legend, she fell in love with a man who ignored her. Well, of course. And because she was blinded by love, she blinded him in his sleep to, like, I don't know, take revenge on him or whatever. And then, according to legend... Even though he was disfigured, she was still so enthralled by him and she was like so upset that she couldn't get over her infatuation that she leapt from a tall rock in Greece, which she thought was going to break the bonds of her love and instead it broke her neck, which I think that is so sad that like she did so many cool things and like that's... That's the takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. That she was like blinded by love and fell hard for this guy. It's so, it's, it's interesting because even though 
she did do a lot of things that women back then were not able to do um, just because of mm-hmm. how gender roles were. Like she r- was able to rise above so much and yet it's still a mark of like how little people thought about women because the people who recorded her in history tried to diminish all of what she did and make her just appear to be some silly heart sick woman. So it's cool to see stories like this, but it also is just like, yeah, you have to look at it in the context and so telling at the time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there were plenty of people who didn't agree with her having such a high position of honor among this man's uh, council. For sure. And they, yeah. And even, maybe she really did, like, blind that guy, but it might yeah. not have had anything to do with loving him or something, too. It's maybe he like, was just an idiot. But it's like, oh, no, he was, yeah. <laughs> maybe he wronged her in some way, some other way, and she was like, I'm going to take this guy out. Yeah, but they're like, oh, no, she was so in love with him, and he did not uh, return her feelings, and she went crazy about it. Yeah. So sad. Definitely. Well, hopefully that doesn't happen to Lady Sarnay. <laughs> I don't think it will. She seems like someone who is um, going to write her own history <laughs> before she dies <laughs> and make it very clear how she wants to be remembered. Um, okay, we have to think of, we have to do two things, a rating for this series and a fan name. Okay, rating out of magic dresses, but let's say there's 10 of them instead of three of them. Okay, or amulets. We could do how many amulets? Or amulets. Out of 10? Okay. Oh, I'm going to give it a five. That seems so harsh, but I feel like in a lot of ways, this just wasn't my book. Nothing against the writing. I'm going to give it a seven, but I'm going to give it with an asterisk. But don't read the cover and like this is like I'd want to like tell you a little bit about it from my own perspective first. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. What should our fan name be? Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> mm. Oh, should we just be Taylor's? Yes. Okay. Okay, I was trying to think of sewing terms, but, like, I was, like, stitches, like, I don't, like, how many scissors, and then I was, like, Bert, cranes, because there's so many cranes. Oh, we should have done out of, like, a thousand cranes, how many cranes would we get it? Oh, yeah, actually, okay, I was thinking about that, because I was going to ask you if you would read anything more by Elizabeth Lim, and I definitely would, because I think, I, I think her writing is very good, I think this just, this book itself just wasn't for me, but... She mm-hmm. has another book coming out in 2021, and it's called Six Crimson Cranes. Ooh. And I was so curious, because remember we got that legend of the princess who folded a thousand cranes? Yep. And I was like, ooh, I wonder if this next book's going to be about her. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I would totally read more of her stuff. I didn't love, love, love the book, but I thought she, I thought it was solid writing, and I thought it was an totally. interesting world, and there were a lot of things I did really enjoy about it. I agree. Okay, so we're... Taylor's. Taylor's. I like it. Um, can we talk about our next book? Sure. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Are you ready for it? Sure. You introduce it. Okay. So we are reading the Star Touched Queen duology. I don't know if, if it has a series name. The first one is called the Star Touched Queen, and the second one is called A Crown of Wishes. And um, it's by Roshani Chakshi. And let me read the back for you. <clears throat> Maya is cursed. Maya? What? <laughs> Wait, really? M-A-Y-A. Maya, okay. right? Spelled differently. Same name, different spelling. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully it's different enough. Oh, please don't let there be demons. Please don't let there be demons. <laughs> a demon? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it does start with she's cursed, but I don't know if it's by a demon or not. Oh, man. We might need to read something else. I'm just mm-hmm. kidding. Okay. Maya is cursed. With a horoscope that promises a marriage of death and destruction, she has earned only the scorn and fear of her father's kingdom. Content to follow more scholarly pursuits, her whole world is torn open when her father, the Raja, arranges a wedding of political convenience to quell outside rebellions. Mm. Soon Maya becomes a queen of Acheron and wife of Amar. Neither role is what she expected. As Acheron's queen, she finds her voice in power. As Amar's wife, she finds something else entirely. Compassion protection, desire, dot, dot, dot. But Akaram has its own secrets, thousands of locked doors, gardens of glass, and a tree that bears memories instead of fruit. Soon, Maya suspects her life is in danger. Yet who, besides her husband, can she trust? With the fate of the human and otherworldly realms hanging in the balance, Maya must unravel an ancient mystery that spans reincarnated lives to save those she loves the most, including herself. 
Woo. Okay, so I really like the idea of reincarnation. I feel like it can be done poorly or well, though, so I'm curious to see how it is handled. Yeah. I almost feel like this is Lady Sarnai's story. Oh, I like it, though. <laughs> like being married to someone you're not into for the sake of an alliance. But um, I like or... that it sounds like it's actually a good match, potentially. Although the fact that it says, yeah. who besides her husband can she trust? I'm like, can she trust her husband? Why are we assuming she can trust him? Never trust a husband. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing that I think is interesting, instead of Lady Sarnai pursued the warrior track, it sounds like she was content to follow more scholarly pursuits, so I hope she's kind of a nerd. Oh, me too. Or a bookworm. Like us. Yeah. I can relate to her already. <laughs> All right, well, let's give it a shot. Uh, we are going to read up to chapter 17, which is called... What's it called? A Fine Legacy. A Fine Legacy. I'm excited. Can't wait. Uh, do you have a joke for me this week? Okay, I do. So I looked up sewing jokes because of this and you'll be in stitches over this one (laughs) um but also i know it's still early november but i'm in the mood for christmas so it's also holiday themed a little bit it was just halloween i know but we can't really do thanksgiving with covid and our health stuff so i feel like i'm just skipping it in my mind okay okay why are christmas trees so bad at sewing Ooh, 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 because their needles fall off Exactly. They drop all their oh needles. <laughs> I finally got a joke right. <laughs> there was another one in here, but I don't get it very much. Why couldn't Santa convince the quilter to come visit? Quilter? I don't know. He didn't have enough backing. Which I guess I understand, like, you need backing for quilting, but I don't know why Santa is in it, in the joke. <laughs> and what... Is there, like, a pun on backing? Like, he didn't have the spine for it? Like, he didn't have enough backing to convince them? I don't know. Oh. Yeah. It's not a very That's good bad. one. I know. Most of these were really, really bad. <laughs> oh, this is probably dumb, but I thought it was funny. How did you know the thief was a seamstress? I don't know. She seemed to be following a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. Oh. <sighs> And on that note. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya. And we will start reading The Star-Touched Queen for next week. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelphy, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.